0: The year is 640 BCE. The tiny nation of Judah is watching the encroachment of the Assyrians into their surrounding neighbors. They know that they won't be able to withstand the onslaught of this empire. And the prophet Zephaniah rises up to speak what he sees. And what he sees is not good. Here's the, oh, there's just three chapters in Zephaniah. Anne read from chapter three. Here's how chapter one starts out. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away humans and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. I will make the wicked stumble I will cut off humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. Merry Christmas to you too, Zephaniah. (laughs) A few years ago, about three years ago actually, I preached a sermon on the first Sunday of Advent right after the Ferguson grand jury had come down. And uh, the sermon didn't take an opinion, the sermon didn't give... um, you know, any sort of judgment on what had happened. It was just an invitation to listen to what was happening in our national dialogue, to recognize how many of us don't hear voices other than voices that come from people that look like and think like us. Later that week, however, I heard a bit of grumbling in the congregation, and uh, my favorite comment, um, or not so favorite comment, was one person who said, I just wanted a nice Advent sermon. For those of us who follow the lectionary, and the lectionary is the three-year cycle of texts that are recommended to pastors from um, all over the world and in all different denominations to preach from every Sunday, Uh, It's it's an ironic comment, because many of the texts for Advent are texts like this one coming from Zephaniah. They're texts that are meant to wake us up. They're texts that are calls to justice. So a nice Advent sermon is a little bit of an oxymoron. (laughs) So here's why. It's if you read any of these beautiful and Advent Christmas texts, even the one that, that Anne read that is so beautiful and hopeful, if you read them out of their context, then you miss the power of those comfort, comforting and beautiful words. It's like they're just floating above, unrelated to the realities of the world in which we live. And so we have to name and describe the book of Zephaniah's judgment, the place that he was living with this empire encroaching and with people who were struggling to know how to be faithful in that place. He had this feeling that the world was so bad that it was going to self-destruct. And so we have to place ourselves in that space before we can really hear the words that Zephaniah speaks later. I invite you this morning to consider the places where hope seems hopeless to you, where you see humanity at its worst, where there are places in your world and in your world of relationships, maybe in your family or friends, where we cannot seem to forgive, where we're not hearing each other. And then hear this, hear these words again, In those places. I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. You shall not be put to shame. I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will turn their shame into praise. These words feel daring and nearly unbelievable when we consider the calamity and mess that Zephaniah is facing. And these words break into our places of despair and where the world seems to be an inattractable, tangled mess and asks us powerful questions can we rejoice here is joy possible now how can we find the strength to sing aloud these are the questions that this Sunday of joy asks us as I've been thinking about joy this week I've realized that I see it most evident in two polarities of life there's, there's the first polarity of the joy of young children. The first time a smile, kind of crooked smile, breaks over the face of a newborn. The, the, the laughter, belly laughter, of a five-month-old. The, the, just the unfettered joy that we saw of Kate dancing up here to go tell it on the mountain. I think of probably the moment of deepest joy for me this last year was when I was on a dirt, uneven dirt soccer pitch in Kigali, Rwanda, holding one of those parachutes that goes up and down, and there was a group of three-year-old Rwandan children who were laughing so hard, squealing whenever it came down over their heads, and then screaming when it went up and my sense of just unselfconscious laughing in that moment. So there is that, that joy that children bring, that children have so much to teach us about. But the other side, the other pole, of the, on the other side of the pole, is when I see joy clearly, when it emerges from pain and struggle, I see joy. When I'm sitting with a family and smiling at the quirks and gifts of the loved one that has just passed. I see joy in the delivery of gifts and donations to the church out here after the Paradise Fire, in the faces of those who were donating, and then in the stories of those who were receiving it. I see joy in the faces of people who have lost everything and yet have learned to appreciate this moment. I have found joy this year when my struggles have led me to greater compassion and love for others, when they have caused me to notice how God is showing up even in the places that feel like they'll never be happy again. This side of joy is far from innocent. It is wise. It has its eyes wide open. It trusts beyond the pain of the moment that the greatest reality is God's love. And this is the joy that Zephaniah sees in the midst of this coming calamity. His invitation is to to turn to joy even in the places of pain. His confidence is in a God that it loves us and is with us no matter what. Zephaniah proclaims what professor and philosopher and writer of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, found centuries later when he said, all joy reminds. Joy is never a possession. It is always a desire for something longer ago or further away, or still about to be. Joy reminds us. It places us in a larger story than the pain of today and the headlines of tomorrow. It gives us a past and a future that is rooted in God's love, which gives our soul the capacity to smile in this moment, and again in the next. God will rejoice over you with gladness. God will renew you in love. God will exult over you with loud singing. Would you pray with me? I invite you to to consider again those places where you are struggling to find joy the place of unanswerable questions, the places of uncertainty, the places of grief. And in those places, if nothing else, to just open your hands to receive the God that is with you To be reminded of the love that has gone before you and the love that will continue in front of you is the love that is with you now. Oh God, we pray for our world in its places of deep pain In the places of injustice and violence. In the places where health is elusive and answers seem far away. May those places know that deep joy of your presence. We thank you for the reminder this season that Jesus showed up in those kinds of places and spoke and lived from those kinds of places.